0: Let us rise again from our seats for our scripture reading, for the reading of God's word that comes from Proverbs 11.2. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your careful attention. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It's really good to see all of you. Uh, I wanted to really visit Joshua Generation yesterday as you guys had your turkey bowl. Uh, Just educate me. Was there a winner yesterday? Only losers, huh? It's okay. This sermon is for you because we are going to talk about shame. We're going to talk about shame. And as for all-stars as well uh, and Joshua Generation, uh, Pastor Sam and I are so, so proud of you, especially for those of you who have uh, studied so hard for the Baptism and Confirmation Preparatory Class. Uh, We are so proud of the hard work uh, that you have put into. And for those of you who... um, have decided maybe perhaps this year is not the year for you to make a public commitment to say that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. I pray that you are not filled with any shame, for the love of Christ is far greater than that. Uh, Today, as you can tell, we are going to talk about this concept of shame found in our passage today uh, in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 2. Uh, But before we begin, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Your people know shame deeply. All of us, ever since we were little children, have understood, have been acquainted with, and have experienced to one degree or another shame. I pray, Father God, that the gospel of Jesus Christ will truly be good news for us, that we no longer have to cover ourselves with fig leaves, but Lord, that we would cover ourselves in the beautiful blood of Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray for any of our students here today that are wrestling deeply right now with shame. I pray, Father God, that they will be able to look outside of themselves and look above where Christ is seated, that they might be able to behold the excellencies of Christ, who calls them son, daughter, giving them promises of love, protection and an eternal inheritance we thank you we love you in jesus name we pray amen amen let me ask you guys a question how many of you know the book of proverbs please raise your hands if you've ever heard of it anybody anybody okay so plenty of you know have at least heard of the book of proverbs how many of you have actually read uh the book of proverbs any chapter it's okay, any chapter. Okay, again, uh, quite a, a, a lot of you have at least heard of the book of Proverbs, have read uh, the book of Proverbs, uh, but maybe some of you might not exactly know what Proverbs means or what it's all about. And so I just I do want to start by uh, giving us a working definition of what Proverbs is. The book of Proverbs has many short sayings, many short sayings that expresses a universal truth for practical godly living okay so proverbs has many short sayings that expresses a universal truth or uh uh, for practical godly living and so the book of proverbs is uh called the book of proverbs because it's part of the bible's wisdom literature wisdom literature and sometimes for us we confuse the word wisdom with knowledge. We think that they're one and the same, but here's the thing, wisdom is different from knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world but still not have wisdom. The flip side of that is also true. You can have uh, all the uh, you, you might not have all the knowledge in the world, but that doesn't mean that you don't have wisdom. So what is exactly, uh, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the art of living well. Wisdom is the art of living well. You see, knowledge is limited. How is it limited? Knowledge shows you what is true of God's world, of who God is, of the Word of God. It shows you the truths of God's world and all the facts and whatever. But wisdom teaches you why it's beautiful, why God's world is beautiful, why God himself is beautiful, why uh, the word of God is beautiful. In other words, wisdom teaches you how to value God, yourself, and all of the complexities of life. Do you see now why wisdom is so, so valuable? Because it teaches you how to value God, yourself, and the things around us, the complexities of all life. But you might ask yourself this. Well, you know what, Pastor John, I go to church once a week, and the only time that I open the Bible is actually when you or Pastor Sam tells us to open the Bible and I don't have a lot of Bible knowledge. I might know some of the stories. And relatively speaking, I feel fine. I don't feel like I necessarily need wisdom. Pastor John, isn't it easier to live however I want? Why are you making us think so deeply? Isn't it easier to live without thinking de- deeply? And so we're gonna uh, address these questions. You know, let's see how living life independently from wisdom independently from god plays out especially in our passage today and so proverbs eleven two 2 says when pride comes then comes disgrace but with the humble is wisdom you see for those of us who are proud before the eyes of god we are really living however we want to we are really living without thinking deeply about how God has orchestrated this world, your life's purf- purpose, etc. Proverbs 11.2 really describes for us also the result of pride. What is the result of pride? Well, in our passage, it says that the result of pride is disgrace, also known as shame. Shame. Shame is a very universal concept. Without raising your hands, how many of you knows what that word personally means to you, shame. Maybe you come from a broken family and you feel shame. Maybe you have been betrayed by those that you love like your friends and you feel shame. Maybe perhaps you have studied very, very hard and yet got rejected by the school of your choice and you feel shame. Or perhaps you got rejected by a person. You asked that boy or that girl out, and they said no. I remember when I was in middle school, my good friend, I won't give you his last name, but his first name was Jason. And he liked this young lady as well, pretty young lady. And so he found the courage to ask out this girl in front of the whole class. Guess what she did? Ladies... How would you react if a boy came up to you in the middle of class and told you how he felt about you in front of everybody? How would you be like? How would you feel? Would you be like, "Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. This is great. This is everything that I've been wanting for like the K-drama." Well, that's what Jason thought would happen. What happened was was that she got up, ran to the bathroom, came back and said, "I threw up." There was great shame that day. All the men in that, all the boys in that class, even though we didn't ask her out, we all lost that day. We we had a moment of silence for our brother. We knew that he was not going to recover from this. That the only hope was Jesus Christ. All of us believed in some God that day. We knew that we were not enough. There was great shame that day. We all know and experience shame to various different degrees. But you know, the Bible teaches us that there was a point in human history that shame was not in existence. And that was at creation. When God created the world, God created the world perfectly good. He looked at the sun, He looked at the stars, He looked at the moon. Very good. He looked at the expanse in the sky, the waters below. He said it was very good. He looked at the world, and he the world that he created, and he said it was very good. He looked at you, his image bearers, and he said, "Very good. This is good." And now, for those of you who know the Bible, um, uh, Adam and Eve were they clothed in the name brands of today? Absolutely not. The Bible says that they were naked. Fully exposed, but unashamed. They knew where they stood in the eyes of God. They knew that God loved them no matter what and even if. They knew that they had this intimacy with God, that they had access to God. Think about that. They had access to the almighty God. If you're still not following, just imagine you, like my friend Jason asking that girl or that boy out for a date. Think about how scared you would be in front of just the person that you liked. But imagine now being in the presence of the Almighty God, knowing that Almighty God accepts you, cherishes you, delights in you, adores you. That was a moment in human history where we were in the presence of God unashamed. But then really what happens is is that Satan comes. And he gives us different options. He opens our eyes to how good this tree of the knowledge of good and evil was, which was forbidden for them to take of. It was good to the body. It was good for wisdom. The pride of life, etc. And they partook of the forbidden tree. And as they did so, the fall had come. Shame had entered into the world. And from that point on, humanity has expressed, experienced, dealt with in very unhealthy ways shame apart from God. But there is hope. Because God does not let us go. God does not just leave us abandoned. Yes, Adam and Eve had to depart from the Garden of Eden, but before he does, what does God do? He covers their nakedness. He covers their nakedness with the very first sacrifice. It says that God covered them with animal skin, meaning that in the future, someone would have to die so that their shame could be appropriately covered. What an enormously uh, valuable and uh, significant and relevant sermon that we are hearing today because every one of us, in one way or another, feels and experiences shame. I remember all the times that I experienced shame. Shame. I remember all the times where I prepared myself so that I would not experience shame. How many of you do that? You do everything that you can in your life so that you would not experience shame. How many of you have experienced shame despite how hard you work at not experiencing shame? Isn't it tiring? Aren't you exhausted Well, Proverbs chapter 11, verses 2 is for you and it's for me. To further understand this passage, we must understand the context behind this proverb. And the context of this proverb, uh, chapter 11, verse 2, comes from verse 1, uh, which says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Let me say that again because it's kind of, it might go over your heads, not because, you know, you're not paying attention or anything. It's just the wording is kind of awkward. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. The context to our passage on pride that ends in shame is the marketplace where dishonest merchants would deceive and trick people who are buying their products with unjust weights, saying this is actually a lot heavier than it is or this is a lot lighter than it actually is. And so they're tricking, deceiving, and even stealing from their neighbors. And so Bible students, let me ask you guys a question. How many of the Ten Commandments does this dishonest merchant break? Well, the very first one, very obvious one, is commandment 8. Anybody know what the 8th commandment is? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. He is stealing from his neighbors. What is he stealing? Money. But how does the dishonest merchant steal? It's really in the name dishonest. By breaking the ninth commandment. Ninth commandment, which is thou shalt not Lie, lie. Don't bear false witness. But why does the dishonest merchant lie? Because he is jealous over what his neighbor has. What does his neighbor have? Money. And that is breaking the 10th commandment. However, by stealing, by lying, and coveting his neighbor's wealth, the dishonest merchant actually kills his or her neighbor in his or her heart which also breaks the sixth commandment. But here's the thing. You cannot break a single one of these commandments without breaking the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, just one. God is our creator. He is our savior. He is our provider. He is our shield, our very great reward. He is with you. Do you know that? He is absolutely present in your life. Yes, he is invisible, but he is actively present in all of our lives. And for the dishonest merchant, not only he breaks the first one, he also breaks the second commandment. Don't have any idols. Don't bow down to idols. This merchant is so crazy about money. And so who is his God? It's money. It's money. And by glorifying and honoring and recognizing money over God, he takes the Lord's name in vain. He does not rest on the Sabbath to worship God. He works to worship money. And therefore, the dishonest merchant lives without recognizing, without honoring, and glorifying the one true and living God. The dishonest merchant recognizes and honors and glorifies money, As his or her God. The dishonest merchant recognizes, honors, and glorifies money as his or her ultimate provider. The dishonest merchant recognizes, honors, and glorifies money as his or her ultimate savior, identity giver, security, and the ultimate pleasure of this life. This can only be described as pride. Pride. Because God is not recognized, honored, or glorified. Now, what is the moral lesson here, guys? Is the lesson here, guys, no more pride. All of you have zero pride. Is that the lesson of our passage today? And I would say no. Pride is actually necessary. Did you hear that? Pride is actually necessary. It's a vehicle for worship. When is pride absolutely necessary? Well, the Apostle Paul teaches us, boast, be proud of the Lord your God. Boast in the Lord, not in yourself, because he deserves all recognition, honor, and glory from you, because he is all of these things and more. Beyond our wildest comprehension. How many of you, don't raise your hand, are good at math? I told you not to raise your hand. Some of you are like, that's me. How many of you are not good at math? Like, everybody just, like, put their head down. (laughs) Whenever we're not good at something, we feel shame. Especially, you know, as Asians, we feel this unnecessary pressure that you have to be good at math or whatever stereotype is out there in the world of us. But when we are bad at something that we should be good at, what do we do? Well, at least I'm good at English. At least I'm good at science. At least I'm good at social studies or civics or what have you. Why do we do that? Well, it helps us to endure the hardships of life. Hey, I'm not good at this, but I am good at that. But as Christians, in Jesus Christ, we have something, someone actually, to be even more proud of. And it's not in our little hands, but it's in God. Yeah, I might be struggling with this. Yes, I might feel alone. Yes, I might not come from the quote-unquote best family, whatever that means, but I do come from the Almighty God. God loves me, cherishes me, has written a good story of my life. And for those who love him, for those who love him, all things work together for good, even the moments that bring you down even the moments that bring you great shame, there is a great reversal because Jesus Christ recognizes you and even honors you and even glorifies you in his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, this is the context of Proverbs 11.2, pride, pride. As the dishonest merchant does not recognize God as if he is not here today. As if he doesn't care about us. As if if we are going to get away with murder itself. As if we are going to get away with everything because God does not care about justice. He does not care about righteousness. He's not going to do anything about it. So I'm going to do whatever I want. Isn't it easier to live however I want? Isn't it easier to live without thinking deeply? That was the original question that we asked, isn't it? And the answer is no, because Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, also known as shame. And shame can come in various different forms, right? For example, what would we do in our world today if we caught a person, a rich person, let's say like Elon Musk, lying, cheating, and even murdering people for money? What would you do? We might protest. We might boycott some of the products. We might post on social media our uh, frustrations, our disappointments. We might want to cancel Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, and the Boring Company, all companies that uh, Elon Musk owns. These are some natural consequences Elon Musk may face for such a shameless act of lying, cheating, and even murdering people. But beyond this, there is an external shame that comes outside even of our society. It comes from the actual presence of God. You see, in the presence of God, no one can boast. For in the presence of God, when we compare ourselves to other people, uh, we might feel good about ourselves, but in the presence of someone who is perfect and righteous and holy, like God, there is no way that I could actually boast. So Elon Musk, if he is comparing to other rich people, he might say, well, I'm, I don't lie as much. I don't cheat as much. I haven't killed that many people. And well, you know, what is death anyways? They can make all sorts of different excuses but in the presence of god no one can boast in themselves it's kind of like this pastor tim keller um, a very famous pastor uh, a gift to the church said this everybody thinks that they are awesome you guys think you're awesome everybody thinks that they're awesome until they come to new york They come to New York and they realize that they're at best average, at best average. How many of you feel average? When we are around other people that are so gifted and so talented, you feel at best average. And on some days, you feel worse than average. You wonder, man, maybe God made a mistake on me. And so Pastor Tim Keller says, yeah, everybody thinks you're good. They're good until they actually come to New York because there's so many people in New York, there's so many talented people in New York, and they all of a sudden feel ashamed, less proud of their abilities. But even more than this, as we enter into the presence of God, we realize that we have really no room to boast. Ever since the fall of man, shame has entered into our human experience, and all that we can do is cover ourselves like Adam and Eve with fig leaves. So I'm asking you a genuine question for you to think about. What are your fig leaves? I pray that you'll talk about this in your small groups. What are some of your fig leaves that you cover yourself to address the shame in your life? There's so many. I've counseled so many students who have body image shame where they feel like no matter what, they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, even though the scale says that they're getting lighter and lighter and lighter. I've met with so many people where they feel ashamed because even of their skin color, their height, their upbringing, I've talked to students who will say to me, I want to invite my friends over to my house after they invited me to their house because their house was so big and so beautiful, I was too ashamed to invite them over to my house. You see, we cover ourselves in so many different ways. And so in your small groups today, I pray that you will be pastoral to one another, For we all cover ourselves in fig leaves. What are some fig leaves that you cover yourself with? Now you might say, Pastor John, that's really risky. I don't know if I can do it. Well, apart from Christ, you should not do it. We should not remove our fig leaves unless we know that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has come to adequately cover our shame in his love. In His tender mercy and compassion, in Christ Jesus, we find the answer for the problem of shame in my life and in your life. Read with me again in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. "When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The humble. Who is the humble? It's certainly not me. It's certainly not you. It's certainly not our amazing leaders, our loving parents. It's no one in this room except one person, Jesus Christ. So we could say it this way, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with Jesus is wisdom. And when we follow Jesus... We find wisdom, and what do we say wisdom is? It is the art of living well. Knowledge shows you what is true of God's world, but wisdom teaches you why it's beautiful. Wisdom teaches you how to value God yourself and all the complexities of life. Jesus and Jesus alone helps us cover our shame. You see... This is a bigger problem than we realize because shame is not like guilt. Guilt is a judicial statement. You are guilty, not guilty. But what is shame? It is deeply relational. When we feel the effects of sin, which is shame, we feel like we can't be next to each other. We feel like we can't be in the presence of God. So many of our students here have told me I can't come to the retreat because I'm ashamed in the eyes of God. I can't serve because I am unworthy. I can't do these things for God because I am filled with immense shame. All of these things, all of these things deal with our relationships. That is what shame is. It's deeply relational And because we could not come before God, what does God do for you? God comes to you. Just like he did in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were hiding in the bushes. God comes in the cool of the day and he says, where are you? Not because he doesn't know where you are, but because you forgot where you are in relation to God. Right? Where you are in relation to God Where are you? I'm right here. I want you to come out. I will cover you in my robes of righteousness. I will cover you in my blood. And we all as Christians recognize who this is. This is none other than Jesus Christ who calls us by name. And he says, I know the things that you are ashamed of, but I hope you know that I have done everything so that my heavenly Father will be proud of you. I know the things that you have done that has caused you to be filled with shame, but I want you to know that I have done everything for you so that my heavenly Father will be proud of you, to love you, to cherish you, and that this will never change. You see, in the New Testament, our passage comes to fuller uh, revelation. It deepens and expands our understanding of shame. A disciple that, of Jesus Christ that stands with Jesus unashamed because Jesus is the one that has covered him, died for him, bled over him, did everything right for his behalf and her behalf. They stand now unashamed before the eyes of God not because of him or her, but because of Jesus Christ. But for those of us who continue to remain in our pride, this is what is promised for us disgrace. For there will come a time where Christ will come again. And on that day, for those who acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, Christ will never be ashamed of you. But for those who continue to live in their arrogance and pride, Jesus says, I will be ashamed of you in the presence of my heavenly Father, for there is nothing about your fig leaves that can protect you from God. And so what do we do? Do we cover ourselves with more fig leaves? And the answer is no. You see, shameless people flaunt their fig leaves their unholiness, their callousness to God, and give glory even to their shame. And yet no one is shameless ultimately. For God in his presence, no one is righteous, no not one. And therefore, beloved, here is the gospel for you. Jesus Christ has come to pay for our sins, die for our sins, rise again victoriously from even death itself to cover your guilt, to pay for your guilt, to cover your shame for all eternity. And for those of us who place their faith in him, we have an adequate response to our shame that Jesus Christ has died for my shame died for my guilt, and now I have put on the robes of righteousness where God looks at me, and now I am right before him. And so, brothers and sisters, isn't it easier to live not however we want to, but how Christ wants us to? Isn't it easier now because of Jesus Christ to think deeply upon eternal matters and not just worldly matters? Isn't it much better for us to trust in our Heavenly Father who gives us the greatest treasure in this known universe, Jesus Christ, and says, now be proud, not of yourself, but of your Heavenly Father, over Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who gives you a new purpose for your life. Praise team, would you come up? And for uh, All Stars and Joshua generation, would you bow your heads with me In prayer, all-stars in Joshua generation, um, shame affects all of us in different ways. And we have done so many various different things to cover our shame. And none of it actually has worked. None of it has actually been adequate enough to cover our shame. So instead of trusting in ourselves, would you join me? and boasting in Jesus Christ who has paid for our guilt and shame by dying for us upon the cross, by shedding his blood for us so that we would no longer fear death, we would not feel a fear the sting of death, but continue to live in the pleasures of God the Father. Let us continue to pray. Heavenly Father, many of us today are driven by our shame and our guilt, but I pray, Father Lord, that our sins, our shame, and our guilt will just push us towards you and not away from you, because Jesus Christ has come for us where we were too ashamed to come before him. He opens up our eyes and our hearts to a new world of grace, mercy, and love. And so, Father, Lord, may we enter into that light of love and grace and mercy that we find in Jesus. We thank you so much, uh, Lord, that um, you, in you, Lord, we find the answer to our shame, uh, the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ. May we treasure that, delight in that today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.